Intel articulates their AI strategy. Broadcom picks up some customers. IBM picks up some PaaS apps. Wi-Fi 7 is finally here. And we're going to take a look at the mega acquisition that HPE has made for Juniper Networks in this episode of the Gestalt IT Rundown. Hello, everyone. Happy Wednesday, January 10th. This is the Gestalt IT Rundown. My name is Tom Hollingsworth, and I'd like to wish everyone a happy National Take the Stairs Day. Even if your house doesn't have stairs, go find somebody else's house and take their stairs, with their permission, of course, because you're going to get a big workout listening to this episode of The Rundown with all the great news that we've had going on. Joining me is my wonderful co-host, Mr. Stephen Foskett. Stephen, did you take the stairs this morning? I did take the stairs. I also appreciated my houseplants. And similarly, that's National Appreciation of Houseplants Day. So if you don't have any houseplants or any stairs, just use somebody else's. I'm sure they won't mind. Yeah. And they won't mind you listening to the rundown as you do it, because we have some wonderful stories coming up that you're going to want to take a listen to and a look at, starting with our friends over at Intel. Because we talked last week about how Intel was heating up their AI strategy, and they're venturing into an AI-powered enterprise software market by establishing a new company called Articulate, with the number eight. Uh, It's a new platform company backed by Digital Bridge. Originating from a collaboration with Boston Consulting Group, Articulate developed a generative AI system designed for industries like finance, aerospace, and telecommunications. Stephen, what should we make of Intel starting a new business while they're busy shedding the old ones? Well, uh, it's important to note that this is an external business. It's a spin out, as they say. Um, It's also important to note that uh, it's got those two magic letters in it, A and I. Uh, This is, after all, the year when everything is AI. But uh, all snarkiness aside, well, this is the rundown, so only some snarkiness aside, um, I have to say that um, it makes a lot of sense. Essentially, what we've got here, my friend, is a great example of a practical use of AI. Essentially, uh, Boston Consulting Group and Intel have been working with customers, uh, big enterprise customers, for a long time to make useful generative AI products. That's what Articulate is. Essentially, they're taking the, the effort, the impact, the uh, learning, and the software that they've created for big enterprise customers, and they're going to create a new joint venture to bring that to more big enterprise customers. And, um, you know, that's what the business world is all about, right? Honestly, I love things like this because there's so much noise and blather and nonsense about AI. It's nice to see the development of a product that actually does a thing. And essentially that's what Articulate, or at least what I'm hearing Articulate is all about. It's also a very hands-on service that will help companies that maybe don't have a lot of AI expertise get up to speed with it. And of course, number one, from Intel's perspective is that this thing is gonna use a lot of hardware. And Intel makes a lot of hardware and would love for you to use that hardware. Again, this is the kind of uh, synergy, as they say in business circles, that works. Broadcom continues to make big moves in their consolidation of VMwares, especially as we talked about last week with regard to partners. The latest comes in the channel partner space as uh, VMware's largest 2,000 strategic customers are going to be direct accounts for VMware, and they will thus be unavailable to partners. Partners won't be able to register deals with these companies, and any uh, attempts will be refused. The policy is effective immediately, and any pending deals will be denied. Any confirmed deals without quotes will be refused. 
Tom, this is a big move, right? This is a very big move. And I know we mentioned it last week, and we talked about the fact that when you see these kinds of mergers, I remember you know, late last year, there were still people wondering, well, how is VMware or how's Broadcom going to squeeze all that extra revenue out of VMware? You know, you, you've got to cut jobs, right? You got to cut R&D. No, they're going to start cutting overhead. And this is one of those things that feels like overhead, right? I'm sure that maybe not Hawk Tan, but somebody was sitting around going, why are we paying these people to sell to people who were going to buy from us anyway? especially people who they're going to have to come to us to figure out how to put the stuff together. Why don't we just sell to them? And, and, and it sounds kind of like almost perfunctory at this point. It's like, why shouldn't the biggest thousand customers be direct? And if you don't believe me, go ask any other company, whether it's HP, Dell, Cisco, um, EMC, uh, IBM, Intel, their biggest customers don't go through partners. They have a direct relationship. Boeing doesn't buy through a partner. Boeing buys directly from companies. And so that reduced need to pay a partner, basically a finder's fee, is directly in the bottom line. So I think, now, to be completely fair, this is a bad move if you are a huge VMware partner. So think of the largest partners out there. Uh, the ones that spring to mind for me are companies like Presidio, Worldwide Technology. Um, you know, they have a huge investment in selling to these people. You do not go to a 50-person VAR to buy product that could cost you, I don't know, $50 million. You go to one of the big, the big players. And I think now those big players are going to have to either just grin and bear it and move on to a different line of business or they're going to take what they've already invested and start offering additional opportunities. So maybe they're going to go with um, Nutanix, or maybe they're going to go with maybe like something like a scale computing, where you know we're going to provide an offering that fits where we want, and effectively we're going to kind of compete in some of these areas. Now, how that affects their partner status with Broadcom VMware now, I don't know, but. I understand that this can be frustrating for people because there's a possibility that jobs will be lost and things like that. But this is the price of playing the game to refine operations to the point where you're going to make those big savings without dumping a whole bunch of people on either side of the fence. I'm interested to see how it plays out because this is the second big partner move that we've heard from VMware in as many weeks. We're going to have to see how this plays out over the course of the next few months. Who knows? Maybe they bring their partners back on board. All right, Stephen, IBM is set to acquire two integration platform as a service products. Stream sets and web methods from Software AG are going to cost IBM about $2.3 billion in the acquisition. The move is aimed at strengthening IBM's Watson X AI and data platform, adding data ingestion capabilities and deeper integration tools for hybrid multi-cloud environments. What does this mean for IBM? in the emerging AI as a service space? Well, I think that uh, like some of the other uh, stories that we're seeing right now here in the, the, the year of AI, uh, the big challenge is gonna make AI real, um, especially real when it comes to businesses really deploying generative AI and integrating generative AI with data sets. That's something that I talked about at AWS reInvent quite a lot and uh, something that I'm very keen on 
looking about how data platforms are going to be brought in to this generative AI world. Essentially, if you're a big corporation, you have a data lake, you have all sorts of information that you need to draw on. You have applications that would like to use that, whether they're internal or external applications. How do you actually do that? Now, there's a lot of promise for using generative AI to pull data out of data sets, to surface the proper data at the right time, to change the way that that data is presented and integrated with other applications, and to draw inferences, if you'll forgive the pun, from that data. Well, that's the sort of thing that Software AG had been working on with uh, both stream sets and web methods. Essentially, uh, stream sets is a way to um, take uh, data that already exists and ingest and, 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 and kind of mungle that data and make it useful. Whereas uh, web methods is a way to integrate data with platforms and APIs and surface it in applications. It makes a lot of sense for somebody like IBM with Watson X to take software like this and bring it to the table. Um, as our friend over at uh, here in Futurum, uh, Todd Weiss says, um, it's a great move because it uh, basically takes the best of these sort of enterprise capabilities and makes them more broadly used. Given the acquisition price, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that IBM sees a lot more use cases for this for Watson X customers than Software AG could handle itself. And I think that it's going to be a big financial move for the company as well. So uh, essentially, we're getting into a world where you, know, you might have to take another look at IBM, especially when you're talking about next generation applications and uh, integration of AI. The Wi-Fi Alliance announced this week that they have officially launched Wi-Fi 7. I know, you're just getting used to Wi-Fi 6, right? While you may have already seen some products on the market with Wi-Fi 7 and the packaging, they cert aren't certified by the Wi-Fi Alliance because, uh, well, there was no certification program until this week. Uh, one important thing to note is that while there is a Wi-Fi certified 7 program from the Wi-Fi Alliance, there's no ratified protocol yet. The IEEE is still working to finalize 802.11BE, which is the protocol suite that will be Wi-Fi 7. Tom, is this another case of the Wi-Fi industry getting way out there ahead of standards? Hold on, I can answer this in one word. Marketing! Now, I, I, there was this great blog post that my friend Lee Badman wrote up. He actually talked to the head of the Wi-Fi Alliance about this. And here's what it is. You have seen Wi-Fi 7 stuff in stores already. Whether you've gone to your local big box store or there's actually a couple of companies that are producing Wi-Fi 7 enterprise access points. The problem is, is if you want to go back to the halcyon days of what was like 2004, 2005, when we had draft in access points, that's something that isn't really a thing. And it actually caused so many problems in the industry that the Wi-Fi Alliance decided that they were going to get out in front of this and say, we're going to recertify these devices before the standard's officially done so that when the standard is actually cooked and ready, that the stuff that's out on the shelves will be ready to go for that. Now, the important thing to realize is that the Wi-Fi Alliance would not have released this standard unless the draft was pretty much done. That's kind of where we're at right now. The, the draft is more or less done. There's not going to be any major additions to this, not like the kind of groundbreaking problems that you'd run into where like you're going to have to rip everything out and replace it, which is what happened with Belkin's draft in uh, back in the day. So 
I feel confident that what you are going to get, like, let's just say you go out and you buy the ingenious access point that they've been talking about that is Wi-Fi 7 ready. You, it's going to be ready. It may not have like the little seven sticker on it, like you're going to see from the Wi-Fi Alliance, but it'll pretty much work. I mean, there might be one or two really weird edge cases. The other thing to realize is that kind of, as you mentioned in the intro to the story, Stephen, we were just getting ready, used to Wi-Fi 6, right? There's not a huge gap today between what Wi-Fi 6's capabilities are, or Wi-Fi 6E as well, to Wi-Fi 7. And I actually think that if you want to learn more about that, there is an amazing presentation that we just had at Mobility Field Day from Cisco's Nick Switecki. Um, We'll put a link to it in the show notes. He did an amazing job of breaking down why Wi-Fi 7 isn't as big of a deal right now and what kind of gains you're going to get from it and why you should be skeptical but optimistic. And I think that it's important to realize that. Don't just go to the store and buy the biggest number. Look at what your use case is and decide how you want to go from there. And here's the most important reason why. You can buy a Wi-Fi 7 AP and stick it on your wall, but right now there is no client device that can talk to it. That is the biggest difference. Wait until there are client devices and you won't have any problems. All right, Stephen. At the December 2023 IEDM event, Micron unveiled Faro Electric RAM, which I'm going to call FeeRAM because I can. It's a concept that shows potential as a replacement for Optane storage class memory. FeeRAM, as non-volatile random access memory, stores binary data through electric polarity and Faro Electric capacitors. That was a mouthful. While historically limited to specific applications, Micron's technology aims to broaden VRAM's use in data storage. What are the prospects for this new non-volatile memory? Yeah, this is an interesting one. Uh, You know, we like to geek out here sometimes a little bit, and this is a great geek out story. So as you mentioned, VRAM is a non-volatile memory uh, solution. You might call it storage class memory, uh, somewhat like Optane. You might recall that Micron was a partner of Intel in developing 3D crosspoint technology. And unfortunately, uh, that technology failed to find its market. Uh, Micron pulled out, Intel canceled, and that was that. But that doesn't mean that the industry doesn't need or want non-volatile storage class memory. Essentially, this falls somewhere in between flash and dynamic RAM in terms of performance and reliability. And VRAM looks awfully good. This is not a new, new technology. And also, I should point out, it's not actually based on iron, FE. Um, It just is a ferroelectric capacitor. Essentially, it's kind of cool. From a physical perspective, it's a capacitor that that bumps a little tiny bit, either kind of up or down, changing the polarity of that capacitor. Um, It will store that uh, capacitance state for a very long time, because it's literally a um, a molecular atomic level change that is not able to to be modified unless you apply a voltage to it. Um, Unfortunately, reading it destroys it, but it also gets the information and then you can rewrite it. So it's one of those things where you can quickly read and write data. You can store it for a very long time. You don't have to refresh it constantly like dynamic RAM. And it so, so it's very uh, energy efficient. It's also very space efficient. Um, but it's not a new product. Uh, there's actually been VRAM from many other companies, including Fujitsu, Infineon, SK Hynix, uh, Toshiba. 
Um, and, and if you bought a PlayStation 2 back in 2000, it actually contained 32 kilobits of Fujitsu VRAM way back then. So what's the news? Well, the news is that Micron was able to apply modern manufacturing and um, their own you know, unique IP twist to this thing and create a large capacity VRAM module, um, 32 gigabits, which means that this is a more practical size for modern applications and modern storage. Does that mean that this thing is going to take off and Micron's going to have their own Optane uh, replacement kind of product? Well, analysts are mixed. I talked to some of my friends in the industry, and frankly, they're not entirely sure that this thing is really all that, but it does have a lot of promise. It really comes down to manufacturing and intent on the part of Micron. They might look at this thing and they might say, you know, forget 32 gigabits. We could make a, you know, 512 gigabit die of VRAM and it would be cost competitive with uh, Flash. Well, then suddenly this thing has legs. Or they might look at it and say, you know what, there's just no way that we can bring this out at um, storage capacity levels and make it practical. In which case, I think, judging from the uh, Optane uh, success and failure, I think Micron would look at that objectively and say, no, this is not a commercial prospect. So, so that's where we're stand, we stand right now. I'm sure that folks within Micron are working on manufacturing. They're probably working on uh, use case and cost studies. And I think uh, ultimately Micron is a very practical company. And if they look at this thing and they say, you know what, this thing can be manufactured um, cost effectively at scale, then yes, we will have a new storage class memory product out there. And it's important to note that Micron is a big player in the CXL space. And CXL was originally conceived as a platform for storage class memory, as a way to integrate storage class memory onto the memory bus. Well, if we have a new storage class memory product, combine that with CXL, well, we could be uh, in for something really interesting. Now it's time to take a closer look at the top news story of the week. And I think we would all agree that the biggest news story this week was a massive, massive uh, rumor and now announcement that HPE is going to acquire Juniper Networks. Yes, this is confirmed. HPE is, is confirmed to be paying $40 per share or approximately $14 billion for Juniper Networks. Juniper started off as a big player in the service provider space uh, in, in terms of networking before making strategic acquisitions of companies like NIST Systems and Appstra and has now become a force in the wireless and data center networking space. Not only that, but Juniper has really, really strong AI integration and that has networking analysts buzzing about integration of Juniper's AI software and in complementary product lines across HPE. Tom, you know these products best. Give us the lowdown. What's the scoop? Well, I had no idea this was coming. You may recall in our year end, I talked about how HPE Aruba was kind of becoming an ascendant part of that um, company. And then here we're, what, two weeks into 2024? And uh, I knew something was up when, no kidding, 14 different people texted me on Monday night going, whoa. And that was when I knew I needed to dig into this because when nobody knows what's going on and they all find out at the same time, that gen tends to tell me that all these conversations are happening kind of up at the board level. And if you look at what just happened, Juniper went through a massive round of restructuring. 
Like a lot of people were uh, laid off. A lot of uh, product lines were consolidated down and things like that. A lot of people were kind of wondering, is this a bad thing for Juniper? No, it, it really turns out they were probably readying themselves to be acquired. That's pretty common in these kinds of things. But of course, from the outside, we had no way of knowing that. There's a lot of parts to this whole thing that are not going to make a lot of sense to a lot of people. And to tell you how crazy this is, I've got my space heater running right now because, oh, Lordy, are there some hot takes out there? If you pick a random analyst, they're going to have their obvious their take on it. Pick a different random analyst and they'll have the completely opposite take on the whole thing. Just reading through it yesterday, even before everything was confirmed, I felt like whiplash. You go from one, you know, this is a great move for both of these companies. There's a lot of things that are going to be helpful in this to, oh my God, what are they thinking? This is the worst thing that could possibly happen in the networking space. And I hope the regulators shut this down and consider it a monopoly. And I'm just sitting over here with like my popcorn going, <laughs> keep it up, folks. This is great. So Stephen, I know you probably have some questions that you want to get to because there's a lot of moving parts to this. So I'm going to let you tell me where you think our listeners want to go. Absolutely. Well, I would be remiss if I didn't ask the obvious question. It is AI year. Uh, Juniper has done a fantastic job. I mean, we've seen them at AI Field Day. We've seen them at Networking Field Day, uh, Cloud Field Day. They have done a fantastic job with AI integration, AI-powered integration. So what does AI have to do with this story? It has a lot to do with this story. I remember having a conversation last year or maybe even the year before with a company that was competing against Juniper. And they said, anytime anybody brings up AI, we know we're in for a fight because Juniper owns the AI space, period, end of discussion. They have very intelligent people doing a lot of great development to make Marvis, their AI platform, not only work on wireless, which was where it started, but across the whole product portfolio. Could you imagine getting something as powerful as Marvis integrated with something as overarching as Aruba Central? Because I bet you that's what the people at Aruba, HPE Aruba and Juniper were thinking. The software stack that they have developed to do all of this AI learning is second to none. And when you look at where they're even taking it. So if you remember what March-ish was when everybody completely blew up about using LLMs and GPT algorithms and all these things, right? We had a conversation with the whiz kids at Juniper in May, and they were already talking about how to leverage LLMs with their existing AI to do things like natural language queries of knowledge databases. And it's just going to keep growing from there. So I think AI has a lot to do with this. And I think AI is going to be one of the focuses of what's going on here, but it's not the only reason that they're getting bought. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I concur. Um, I'd love to see it uh, integrated with Aruba Central, but what about everything else HPE makes? I mean, that, that's actually something HPE has done a marvelous job of, is taking key technologies from companies that they've purchased. Um, you know, I'm thinking like Nimble Storage, uh, also, uh, of course, uh, Aruba, and integrating those with uh, the broad array of HPE products to make a much better customer-friendly uh, environment. And then, of course, there's the uh, incredible success HPE has had with GreenLake and the as a service market as well, which which integrates nicely with this too. Um, but 
One of the things that I'm thinking about, Tom, is I, I, I know Juniper Networks for a long time. They are the darling of the network service provider market. What does this mean for that market? It means a lot for if you're HPE Aruba. I mean, do you, do you go buy your service provider routers from HP right now? Mm -mm, you don't. This is a brand new product area for HP Aruba to get into. And I know that the service provider market has been de-emphasized at Juniper for a while. All you really hear about is enterprise, wireless, data center, um, a lot of the stuff that they're doing. But just like you don't really hear about mainframes at IBM anymore, it doesn't mean that they're gone. It means it's a mature product category that's producing revenue. So I think what's probably going to happen is that the service provider part of that equation is going to get integrated into HP Aruba, which honestly is probably just going to be HP networking now. And, but it's going to be a separate business unit. It's going to be like a separate division under the networking portfolio that does their own thing. Part of the reason for that is because Juniper spends their own ASICs for their service provider routers. So not to go down that deep rabbit hole, but basically they are custom building chips to do what service providers need at scale very quickly. And that's a valuable thing, but you don't want to try to commingle that with your existing enterprise product lines, whether they be campus or even data center networking. So I think what you're going to see is that they're going to be kind of like, oh, little Timmy, it's great that you're a part of our club now. Go sit over there. But that's a good thing, because as long as they keep producing and as long as they keep their market share, that's going to be a valuable tool for HPE because it also allows them to get into deals now where they're selling into service providers that need the whole stack. So it's not just GreenLight now, it's GreenLight and connectivity. And if you need those weird edge use cases, now we have a solution for you. Well, it's smart that you keep mentioning Aruba because of course, uh, HPE has been in, uh, well, a pretty good position in the enterprise uh, WLAN or Wi-Fi market for a long time. Cisco is the undisputed leader. I'm looking at some IDC information here from last year that shows that Cisco has over 40% of the enterprise WLAN market. Uh, HPE Aruba is number two with 16% of the market. Then we've got Huawei, Ubiquiti, Comscope, and Juniper Networks. Juniper only has about 4% of the enterprise Wi-Fi market. But as we've seen at our Mobility Field Day events, Juniper has a very, very strong product there, specifically, as you talked about, with their AI-powered uh, network management solutions. Uh, Tom, talk to me a little bit about the impact of this on the enterprise Wi-Fi market. I think it's funny that we talk about the fact that, you, like, as you rank the IDC reports, Juniper's way down there, but they are punching way above their weight. They always have been because they understand the hardware really doesn't matter. I mean, aside from maybe the fact that NIST APs can clip into brackets from Cisco APs, that's about the only hardware importance that people have. The values in the software. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, Juniper doesn't even make their own APs. They have reference designs that they modify. That means that the software stack, the pieces that are important, can be easily ported to other access points like HP Aruba access points. And I think that that's where you're going to see a lot of this happening. Again, hot takes for days. You can roast chestnuts over these things. Everybody is either saying, this is my favorite kind of dichotomy of the hot takes. Fans of HPE Aruba are going to say that they're going to take the best parts of Mist, Juniper, 
and kick out the rest. Fans of Miss Juniper are like, this is a reverse acquisition. We're going to take over their networking department and we're going to own the place in like three months. Surprisingly, they're both wrong. I think what's going to happen is, is you're going to see a much tighter integration in the software side of things. And by all accounts, and I'm being honest when I say this, and this is the feedback of the community, Aruba has needed some help with their software development for a while. I know that we just saw a brand new central when we went to Aruba Atmosphere last year, but I think that they need some people who are focused on the development side to kind of go in there and say, okay, here's what we want to do to transform this even more. We want to integrate all of these pieces together. Great. Let's do that. But I don't think that you're going to have this huge argument about, well, whose APs are we going to use? And what color are they going to be? And this and that. Nobody cares. Put the software on it and let the software do what it's supposed to do. I don't care. Brackets. That's the only thing I care about, as long as I can clip it onto the wall. So I think that this has the potential to catapult. Well, first of all, it's going to catapult Juniper Mist into second place automatically. But I think it's going to allow them to start closing that gap. Because now you have a proven software stack with great feature functionality with a marketing and sales arm that can get you into more accounts where you're competing directly head to head. So, Tom, looking beyond uh, enterprise WLAN uh, Wi-Fi specifically, let's talk about some of the other areas that there's some synergy here. Uh, one of the topics that we've been talking about quite a lot is uh, CBRS. This is uh, something that's been growing and Aruba has made some key acquisitions in this space. The other thing is SASE, which is a big topic in enterprise networking and security. Can you talk a little bit about what Aruba brings to the table for Juniper and HPE as a whole when it comes to those markets? So we talked earlier about the fact that HPE Aruba, HPE networking is going to have a huge impact because they're getting the service provider um, business line. Well, just like that, Juniper Networks gets these CBRS, private LTE, uh, deployments and SASE and SSE. You may have heard that there's been some rumblings that Juniper is working on a CBS, CBRS product. I know this because it keeps popping up on dashboards when they do demos at Mobility Field Day and they keep getting asked about it and they keep being all coy like, oh yeah, I think something's coming. Now it's there because we know that. Uh, HP Aruba made a huge acquisition last year. We talked about it on the year-end rundown where they're picking up a huge private LTE deployment. So now they can immediately jump into that market and start competing with you know uh, the other players that are there. Also, they can start looking at other technologies like OpenRAN, because now that they have the technology to do that on both sides of the fence, both the radio technology and the networking technology, they can really start building on it. So I have high hopes there. But more importantly, they move into the SASE and SSE market. They have been working on an SD-WAN style product thanks to the acquisitions that they got through 128 Technologies uh, back in the day, a company that we talked to in Boston. But when you look at HP Aruba's pedigree with all the stuff that they've been developing, first with Silver Peak and then with the Access Security acquisition last year, they are miles ahead of where everybody else is. And I think that that's going to give them a huge advantage as they go in and start selling into these campus and edge environments. Because a lot of what Juniper has been trying to do is they've been trying to break into that whole Cisco Viptela, um, VMware, VeloCloud type market. And it's been hard going. But likewise, with HPE Aruba, I mean, they've been scaling this business up. But one of the biggest questions has been, okay, what's your security play? And then there's a lot of like side glances because they haven't had a security play. 
Well, <laughs> Juniper has one. They have SRX. And so I think that this is a more holistic solution and it's going to make people a lot happier going forward. So I think that there's a lot of complimentary stuff here. I know that people are focused on the enterprise switching and the wireless and how there's so much overlap. These companies are more than just one product line. And I think where they mesh well, they're going to mesh together very well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's the interesting thing. It, it would be easy to take a quick look at this and say, oh, there's tons of product overlap. You know, this is a networking company and HPE already has networking, things like that. That really isn't the case because networking is not a monolithic market at all. There are many, many areas. And what we find as we look in this in detail is that pretty much everywhere where Juniper Networks is a leader, Aruba and HPE is, is rushing to catch up. Everywhere where Aruba and HPE are leaders or strong contenders, Juniper Networks was rushing to catch up. And so the combination of these two things, well, it makes a lot more sense than I think a lot of people would imagine. That's what we see uh, from internally here uh, with the Futurum Group as well. Uh, Daniel Newman just uh, wrote that he's really bullish on that because he sees as well that there's a lot more synergy here than there is overlap. Let's take a look, though, at the uh, combination, Tom. So assuming that this thing happens, most people are suggesting that Rami Rahim will be the leader of the future HPE networking group and, frankly, a major uh, presence within HPE generally. Uh, tell us a little bit more about him and what do you know of him and how will that work out as part of HPE? Rami's a fighter. He has been putting together a team designed to do one thing, go after Cisco really hard. And it has succeeded for the most part. I mean, like you, like we mentioned in just a few minutes ago, you wouldn't know that Juniper Mist was, what, fifth, sixth, seventh on the list of IDC because of how big they're punching above their weight, making big splashes, having important conversations, shifting the topic. Like I said at the beginning of the thing. As soon as you start talking about AI, it's a done deal because everybody knows who the leader is in AI. That kind of leadership is something that you want in your business unit. All due deference to Phil Mottram. He was on stage last year at Aruba Atmosphere. I'm sure he's a great person, but is he the right person to lead this gigantic business unit? I don't know. I think Rami is the right person to do it. Everyone that I've ever talked to has had positive things to say about Rami. And he has a wonderful team around him. When you look at all of the people that work for him or under him, they are great. I challenge you to go watch any video that was recorded at Mobility Field Day featuring Sudhir Mata and not want to jump up and down with infectious energy. Or listen to someone like Bob Friday, who has built an amazing reputation in the industry and not come away being super impressed by what he is capable of. And that's just two examples. Look up and down at any of the acquisitions that they've made or any of the management folks that they've put in place. And I think what you're going to find is that by having Rami take over, bring in some of his people and reorganize the folks underneath him, that you're going to have a, a lean, mean group of people that are then set to launch and take over a lot of other areas. I know that HPE has been seen for years as a compute-focused company. They are very driven by GreenLake. I mean, for a while, it felt like that was all they could talk about. But with this acquisition, with this $14 billion investment, they are a major player in the networking space. Yeah, 
there was a lot of places that HP Aruba was already the number two. But this is not just scrapping for number two. This is far and away number two by a country mile. So now you're not just fighting for what's left from Cisco deals that don't close. Now you're a credible competitor and you have distance between behind the people behind you. Now, that will also motivate the, the players that are behind them to get better, to innovate, to develop more, to change the conversation again. And that's what makes this whole thing so exciting to me. As we've seen in other spaces, let, let's just talk about Intel, AMD, and NVIDIA. When you're resting on your laurels because you're number one, you fall off. But when you only have one clear competitor, it's not that exciting. When you have another competitor that's willing to challenge you and change the conversation, that makes it better. Now, you may argue Juniper Networks going to HPE Aruba reduces the likelihood that one of those competitors is a clear third space. I would argue that it gives an opening for someone to step up into that while bolstering the clear second place winner or second place company to really challenge now. When you give them the resources and the know-how and the technology, the sky is the limit. And for everyone out there who's watching this or listening to this, and they're shaking their fist and they're upset because there are a lot of upset people. Let's not try to mince words here. There are people who are genuinely worried that HPE is where companies go to die. There are people who are genuinely worried that Mist is going to suck now because they don't have that freedom to do whatever they want. Give it time. Let the culture sort itself out. No acquisition happens overnight. No culture shift happens in a month or six months. I mean, look how long Cisco and Meraki kind of coexisted before that real integration started happening. I mean, the acquisition happened all the way back in, what was it, 2012? And we saw, you know, the first really clear examples of that um, integration really starting to take hold. It took almost 10 years, really. I think that there's still a lot of room for growth. I think there's a lot of room for this to kind of play out. And ultimately, it's going to be a massive win for everybody if you were willing to let it. If your outlook walking into this is completely negative, I don't know what I can do to convince you. Yeah, I, I concur. I think that the more I look at this, the more I think it makes sense. I'm not qualified to make a judgment on the financial aspect of this, and, and, and neither are you. That's not our thing. But from the technology perspective, I think this could really work. Uh, I think that it's time to give HPE a little bit of credit. Uh, I think Antonio Neri made a, a good move here. And um, I think this could really benefit uh, both HPE and, of course, more importantly, HPE customers by having a, a truly strong competitor. Cisco is far and away the leader in so many areas of networking, and this will put HPE at least at the same table as Cisco in almost every networking segment. And, um, you know, I think that that could be good for customers. I think so, too. Now, before we go, Tom, let's take a look at some of the things that are coming in the weeks ahead. I want to start by highlighting Cloud Field Day, which is the end of the month, January 31st and February 1st. We're very excited about this. This is going to be a huge event. We've got a great group of companies shaping up. We've already announced that Dell will gonna, is going to be there talking multi-cloud. We've got Neuroblade with a very exciting data accelerator product. Uh, Broadcom is going to be there talking networking. And we just announced that Platform 9 is going to be talking, a, a, well, a FinOps play in the cloud. And we've got more announcements coming, including more delegates. Uh, we're going to have two great future analysts at the table. It's going to be great. 
right after that, I am headed to Amsterdam. I've got my Stroop waffles, my clogs, and yes, mayonnaise ready for a great presentation lineup. We've talked a lot about our friends at Cisco. They're going to be unveiling some new products and some things like that. But we have another company that we'll be presenting. We will be adding them to the website this week. Make sure you're at techfieldday.com so you don't miss the exciting news. We are going to get even more great presentations. And we, we're teasing it a little bit because we want to make sure that you're watching the website. But we also want to make sure that you're ready for all that great stuff. Also, you know, we'll see if I can get a picture with some tulips. And we've got the same news coming for AI Field Day. Now, this one um, is going to shaping up. Um, this may actually be our first three-day event of uh, 2024. Uh, we'll see. We've got some really great announcements coming. Uh, we're kind of holding those in our back pocket right now. Uh, but suffice to say, it's going to be an absolutely loaded event. Again, we're going to be having some, some great uh, Futurum analysts. Uh, Mark Beckhugh from uh, Futurum is going to be there. Uh, Mark will also be uh, co-hosting the Utilizing AI podcast with me uh, starting right around AI Field Day in uh, February 21st and 22nd. Awesome. And the end of February, on Leap Day, we are going to be having Networking Field Day 34. Uh, we have wonderful lineups so far. We have our friends at Nile as well as Forward Networks. And we will be adding more companies to the website very shortly. And you can check out the full lineup of delegates that we have because they're all registered and ready to go. And we will be talking about all things networking related. We have a lot of stuff going on in the industry as we just talked about, and that's not even all of it. There's so much more that we're gonna be ready to discuss and understand, and we're gonna be bringing it all to you, just like we bring you the rundown every week wednesday around 12 30 eastern time we have wonderful news stories that we keep our eye on every week you can listen to us on our youtube channel if you're a fan of youtube just put it on in the background it's comforting noise or listen to us as a podcast that's one of the ways that i like to consume a lot of my tech news when i'm out on a walk or i'm just going up and down the stairs because you know national take the stairs day but if you want to do that make sure you subscribe leave us a rating, leave us a review, let people know what we talk about here. Let us know, let everybody know we're not CNBC. We have fun with the news. Well, we have fun with CNBC too, but Stephen and I, we, we like to have a little bit of a unique take on it. And that's one of the reasons why everybody loves us. We'll be back next week with more great news. Until then, stay tuned, stay warm, because, you know, it is January out there and there's Polar Express blasts coming everywhere. But until then, we will be back with more great news. We'll see you next Wednesday.